Catherine Nichols, here with Isaac Butler, and this is Lit Century, a podcast where we talk about one book for each year of the 20th century. Today our year is uh, 1971, and our book is General of the Dead Army by Ismail Kadare. It was originally published in Albania in 1963 and then translated into French, and the French translation was translated into English and published in 1971. And that is the one we're talking about. We're very happy to have a guest for this episode also. It's uh, Kay Austin Collins, the film critic for Vanity Fair, as well as co-host of Slate's Old Flashback podcast. He also writes crossword puzzles for The New Yorker, The New York Times, and The American Values Crossword Club. And a summary of our book. For once, it is kind of easy to summarize. There's an Italian general who goes to Albania 20 years after the end of World War II to dig up the remains of Italian soldiers who fought and died there and return them to their families. Um, In the first section of the book, he does that in a fairly straightforward way and mostly thinks of his mission as heroic. Uh, In the second section, he's in a particular mountain village looking for the remains of a particular army captain who had a very brutal reputation. The general isn't having any luck finding him. Uh, And he crashes an Albanian wedding and there's a confrontation with an old woman who it turns out killed this man as retribution for the deaths of her family uh, that he was responsible for. Um, And she has the sack of bones that she throws at the general's feet and the general takes it, but he's repelled by it and eventually dumps it in a river and walks away. And then there's a short third section uh, that's very prosaic, kind of ordinary conversation. Um, In our conversation, we will talk about the effect of this structure. It's pretty unusual. Here's our conversation. So, uh, Cam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, this book is one that I had never heard of. I didn't know it existed until you suggested it. What is your relationship to this book? Like, how did you first come come upon it? So... Um... Wow. Well, you know, Ismail Kadare, he, uh, he's someone who's been, I mean, you know, he, he's been nominated for the Nobel prize 15 times, um, when the man Booker international prize, I think before it became a, a single book prize, when it was more akin to the Nobel, I believe he was the first, um, author to win it. And I think that that was a big, Kind of internet. I think he was already internationally quite well known um, in literary circles. He's published quite a bit over the years, but um, I think that catapulted him a bit. And and I just over the years, you know, I, James Wood has written on him um, and others. His name has sort of come up, but I didn't really. I, I hadn't. This is the first book of his that I that I'd read. I used this occasion to. Um, show everyone what I don't know about Albania. <laughs> um, and, I, and I chose this one because, you know, if you read around about, about him, um, the literary qualities that I think people ascribe to his work, the historical distancing, the subtle critiques of um, Albanian politics, etc. just the premise of this seemed like a good vehicle for getting at what made me curious about his writing. Absolutely. I was interested as I was, you know, just learning more about it to, to think of him using an Italian character as a way into 
Albania when that is actually his native country, that he's one of the people that this Italian general is sort of scorning and kind of finding perplexing or opaque, um, which I think in some ways makes it a good vehicle for me, a person who doesn't really know all that much about Albania. Um, It it just seems like an interesting move. Exactly. Yeah. There's only two stories. A man goes on a journey and a stranger comes to town, but the, the town the stranger is coming to is actually Ismail Kadare's homeland. It, it, it's Albania. Uh, uh, and so th- I thought that was a fascinating approach to a nation where like what we, the, the thing we know the most about it is it's isolation, right? If you're an American, just sort of thinking about it. Um, but, but on top of that, the general who I think is frequently a somewhat ridiculous figure in this story. The general does not know much about Albania at the beginning. There's this sort of section where he's thinking about like, Oh, well, what do I know about this country? Here's what I know. And it's not much. And I don't think by the end of the book, he knows that much more because he's not like super curious about the, the country that he's sort of reinvading uh, to dig the dead up from its soil. Um, so I think that, that that's a sort of fascinating way to, to approach it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, 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 this is part of what I was getting at uh, when talking about why I chose this novel, because, you know, it should be said that um, Kadari, Kadari was writing under, uh, difficult political circumstances. Um, you know, the 40-year rule of Enver Hoxha was deeply censorious. And what's interesting to me is that by displacing certain critiques of Albania that one who was born and, and raised there might have onto this foreign perspective of the general, you can sneak in, I think, some ideas about Albania, about, um, you know, the blood for blood, uh, kind of what what the general describes as a form of savagery, but what also in some ways describes uh, the punishing rule under which Albania lived for 40 years, while also critiquing uh, the invasion of Mussolini, which which happened when Gaddari, I think, was was a baby, um, and then and then came forty years of of something quite different but harsh. Um, so it's kind of it, you know through this through this distance character, he gets to have it both ways in a way, and I find that really interesting. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point because. I think that the um, that he can both show the way that the general thinks about their bloodthirstiness and like he thinks that their pain doesn't really count as pain because they're just peasants and anytime he sort of becomes almost curious about them he sort of has this uh, this reaction like can you imagine I a important Italian general being curious about these you know dirt eating peasants. Um, who just kill each other for fun, no matter what you do, it doesn't really matter what you do to them because they are miserable, inherently miserable people. Um, but then the book takes the, the Albanians' pain very seriously, I think. 
Yeah, it, it does. I mean, I, I, and that's, that's, I think it's really fascinating. I mean, I, I, we haven't said yet, but I think it's worth saying this was his first novel. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, you know, he'd, he'd written poetry and other things before that he'd, he'd uh, gone to Moscow. I, I think the idea was that he would, um, while in Moscow, get trained in, you know, kind of socialist realism and become a voice of communism on behalf of uh, the the uh, political rule of Albania of that time. But he wasn't interested in that as an aesthetic mode, but also politically, I think that he was interested in subverting that where he could, which is part of what has made him such a controversial writer in some ways, uh, as I understand it, because he has both this proximity to the official Albanian politics, but this clear aesthetic distance and, and support has uh, varied depending on who we're asking and where they're from, as I understand it. Um, Because of that, there are people who do, I think, believe that he is writing from under the thumb of someone like, Hoja, but there are many other people who who see where he's sort of slipping through the cracks with historical distancing and mythology and and irony. I think is a really big one for this novel in particular. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, I mean, I mean, there's a way in which having read, you know, people writing under both the czar and 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 Stalin, you know, uh, from a Russian context of like, um, uh. There, there's a way in which people have to write in a kind of code to get anything published, you know, or they have, they, they have to write from, from a, um, from a remove. Um, uh, cause I don't really think this book is written in code, but I do think it's written from a, from a remove, um, which is, which is one of the things that can make it feel a little bit remote, um, particularly in part one, um, where, where, where it is unclear, like, is anything actually happening? (laughs) And, and if it is, what is it? And I think, and I think that comes from this sense of, um, uh, not actually being able to come out and directly say what you want to say, because at that point you're, you're living under, or sorry, you're living within a context that is both repressive and extremely isolationist. Right. How do I put this? I do think you need to be cognizant of that when, when thinking about this book, that whatever it is that it's doing, it's not going to do it directly. Right. Well, but also, I mean, you know, in terms of Italy's relationship to Albania, um, I think I think Isaac, you, you said earlier that the the general is in so many ways ridiculous, um, and I think that becomes a way of saying certainly things about about you know the invasion of Albania, and and the novel frames this, frankly, um, you know, it's it, the folly of this mission is one in which 
the general beliefs he has, you know, he has these charts, he has these lists, he has information about the specific heights of every, of every body that they're looking for. They have all these things when they're digging up these bodies, they're, they're matching the heights of the bones that they have to what's listed on the chart. So there is a sense of order that the general believes he has and, and control, but the novel is about the ways in which that just, you know, and not even slowly, it just, it very quickly begins to evaporate. Um, and there's just a sense of, you know, there's just a lot being said here about, uh, about being colonized. The general is reminded of by, in particular, uh, a priest from Italy that comes with him on this journey is, is, you know, you got to remember, this is kind of a reinvasion for the people of Albania. You are coming back to dig up these bodies, you're digging around in the soil of this place. And for them, it's, it's kind of a recurrence. It's, it's, you know, for you, it's the first time that you were here, you didn't fight, you know, you weren't part of the Mussolini movement. You, you weren't here 20 years ago, but the peasants that you were looking down on were. And so they are re-experiencing something. And that kind of gives him a sense of distance from what's happening but that's something that Kodari builds into, I think, the sentiment of the people of Albania in a very keen way. Yeah, I I thought that there was the sentiment of the people in Albania and the maps that um, that were drawn by the equivalent people in Italy. So, like the parents, the mm. families of these soldiers were saying, um, you know, they they're coming to his house before he leaves Italy. And they're bringing these sort of crude hand-drawn maps saying, there's a church somewhere. My son is buried somewhere to the west of it. Please find him. Um, I heard from, you know, whatever officer, whatever friend that this is where my brother is, you know. And that at first these pleas and these hand-drawn maps uh, and stories, they touch his heart. And then there are so many of them. And it's people who are like right. crowding into his home and there's lines. It's like from the minute he wakes up to the minute he goes to sleep, he's hearing these stories. And I think that there's a, there's a sense of like where irony dies that is both in mm. these, it's like he has his official maps and then he has his unofficial maps and then he has a stack of bones and a bunch of men who say that they're six one, but may or may not actually be six one. And we mm. saw that. Um, I, I think all three of us saw that YouTube video. It was like a conference of the translators of um, Kateri's work. They were saying that he uses Greek myths, he uses Greek tragedy, he uses Shakespeare, and absolutely refuses to have any modern. Like, he's like, I'm not interested in Tolstoy. I'm not interested in Kafka. Get out of here. Which may or may not be true, but maybe, uh, you know, part of the political stance he has to take. Um, but anyway, it did make me think, like, what are the um, sort of ancient, tragic stories that that are about um, sort of the, the natural law versus the, the national law? felt like it had this Antigone soul to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's an additional layer there um, in the novel of, 
the general himself, as he is describing this mission to himself, um, relying on, you know, uh, this longer history of Greek warriors, of Greek generals, um, which is all interesting in the context of Albania and and Albania's situation in in Europe, both in terms of the Albanian language and how ancient it is and how singular it is, um, which is one of the things that lends, I think, uh, Kadaria's work to this really interesting and complicated translation history. Um, but also, the general is seeing himself in these mythological terms and there are people in the novel who who you know cut him down and and I, you know there there's an Albanian um the Albanian expert one of the people that that's helping excavate these bodies who's like look you're talking about like Greece and for me this is these are just bodies and just get them out of here that's what you came to do we have a contract this is not about that greater history. There's like a, for me, a push pull, even in the way that the general self conceives um, within these frameworks, these literary frameworks that Gadare deploys. Right. Cause there's this open question within the book about like, what is the actual meaning and value of this mission? And does this, and thus, what is the meaning and value of a of a dead body or of burying it, right? And 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 those questions don't have a fixed answer within the book, right? It actually keeps changing because it's of course contextual, and I can't help but feel like that is not unrelated to Albania being declared the world's first fully secular society during the 1960s, right? That like there's this sense of like we have done away with religion and all of its follies. And it's like, well, okay, well then like, how do you create meaning out of this? You know? And one of the ways you create meaning out of it is a blood feud. Clearly that's not great. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, but, but another, but another one is, is, you know, Antigone's thing of like, well, we have to do these rights, R-I-T-E-S. We have to do these rights regardless of who the people were, because it is the way in which we show, you know, obeisance to the dead. And it's like, okay, well now I'm going to give you a war criminal, which is the colonel who leads the reprisal squad, yeah. right? And it's like, do you actually still owe this war criminal proper burial rights? Is that a thing that you believe? Is that necessary to the functioning of your society? And the general actually comes around to, no, I don't, because he gets so freaked out by holding the colonel's um, remains that he discards them. I mean, he gets, you know, that, that they, that he becomes, he comes to believe that they're cursed and that they're going to destroy them, uh, destroy him. And so he discards them in this kind of wild, um, uh, scene that also turns strangely comic, like so much else in the book. Right. Um, so, so, so the book is refusing you a lot of easy answers about any of this stuff. I feel like, yeah, I actually just for our listeners, I want to describe that scene a little bit more because I think that it's, um, I was reading it in the subway and I almost missed my stop. I, it's like the book was kind of puttering along for me, you know, pleasantly as a reading experience. I was like, Oh, this is 
this is readable. It's like grim, but readable. And then I, I felt like just gripped by this sequence of events where the, um, the general wants to go to an Albanian wedding. Like they've been out there like digging up bodies for years and he hears like wedding drums and he goes to this wedding. Uh, it's with the priest, right? It's both of them. And yes, yeah. right. Yes. Because the priest is constantly like, you should yeah, not do this. Like, yeah. This is a yeah, terrible right. idea. That's it right. is insulting to these people. Let's not do this. And the general's like, what are you talking about? You told me they're the most hospitable people on earth. Let's go take advantage of this hospitality and have a nice wedding. Exactly. Buffet. Yeah. And it, so he goes in kind of with his old attitude of like, I'm tired. Um, somebody should be feeding me something. And these are peasants. It's like, it is, it's like how a relative uh, importance in the world works is that they should serve my needs. And, um, and then he understands that he is in danger, that, um, that everyone is looking at him and that he actually should not be there and that there are many of them. Yeah. I mean, and what happens is, you know, what happens in that sequence is, um, this really wild literary device of the POV keeps That's breaking. Yeah. So we're we're watching the wedding in close third through the general's eyes. We sort of know what the rules of that and what free and direct and how that's supposed to work. And then all of a sudden it's just interrupted by a first person stream of consciousness by this um, old woman who killed the colonel that they're looking for and buried him uh, in an undisclosed location um, because the colonel had uh, repeatedly raped had her murdered daughter. her husband, um, like, murdered her husband and then and her 14 year old right. daughter. Yeah. And then the daughter killed herself. Yeah. And so, and so it just keeps moving into this, like, and, and, and for people who haven't read it, you know, the book has for most of the time, there is a steadiness, I would say, to the prose for most of the book. And yes. then when it chooses to interrupt it, it really interrupts it. And here it's like this fevered hostility um, that sort of reminds me of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's mother in Libra. You know, there's just this intensity mm. to it um, where she's like, I am going to, you will never learn about this. I am going to destroy you. Like, how dare you come here? You know, it's filled with this like real fervency that it, it really breaks what the tone of the book is is normally like. And then, you know, the wedding just kind of escalates from there and and actually as a result of the woman confronting the general, and of course he does not speak Albanian, so he has no idea what she's talking about, they learn where the colonel's remains are. But after they get it, the 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 general comes to believe that the colonel's remains are cursed. And after going through all this trouble, it's really like the quest of the book is to find this one guy's remains more than anyone else's. Um, he very quickly discards them because he comes to believe that they've brought a curse down on him. Right. And it's one of the only bodies that we don't see. It's like in a bag. And yeah, the, the, and then he just sort of kicks the bag into a river. Um, yeah, right. Because yeah. he's so afraid of it. But it's like the reverse of the thing that they... The, the when they first start, they are like digging up a stadium because it's been 20 years and people are not maintaining all of these like battlefield graveyards necessarily. And somebody 
has a stadium and there's, you know, people practicing soccer and the, there's the girlfriend waiting for the boyfriend. And, and he's like, what am I doing? Digging up like skeletons in the middle of the scene. Um, and then it seems like what he's doing is something sort of sentimental on behalf of the Italians. And then there's this scene at the end where it's like, the the Albanian earth is basically vomiting out this guy's body. Right. Like well, of how repelled they are by having had him in there, like what he did in their community. Well, and actually what you're saying is reminding me because um, if I'm not mistaken, it's, 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 there's another, there's another uh, European uh, repatriation party at the same time as the general and his company. And, they're German, I believe, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I think it's, I think it, it's the Germans who are initially digging near the stadium, but, but that it's, I mean, what comes across in the novel, and I think what comes across really strongly, I think, about the Albanian sentiment is to have both of these groups here at once on similar missions contracted around the same time in, in agreement with the Albanian government, the the confusion of bones that we get in, in the novel, the the care taken to preserve by the Albanians to preserve uh, you know their countrymen, but also anyone from the Italian side, for example, who fought alongside them. Um, getting buried alongside the Al- Albanians and those people being people that maybe, you know, we want those bones to stay, but take take your dirty Italian bones with you. But all of this is to say, like, there's this recurrence of a lot of this, that it's it's not just this general, it's multiple generals who are here doing the same thing, that there's this collision of multiple histories out of World War II, um, of real violence done to the land to the point where the, for me, the beyond this one colonel's bones, the identities of the various European soldiers bones doesn't even matter to me at some point because it's all invasion. It's all, it's all cursed. And it really takes the, the bones of this one colonel and, and this extraordinary scene at the wedding um, to really, Kind of crystallized that in a, in a, a kind of shocking way that I feel through the general. But I also have to say that the hints of a lot of this are sprinkled throughout. Like the breaking of form is something that starts to happen in little trickles earlier on, where we'll get you know what feel like the voices of some of the Italian soldiers um, describing you know where they buried uh, fellow soldiers or you know, just these, these brief interjections that are kind of labeled chapters between chapters, these things that are happening. Um, even the, even yeah, the like priest. Chapters without numbers. Exactly. And, and dreams and journal uh, entries and letters. Yeah. And the priest says early on in the novel, I think when they're at, at the bar of, of the hotel is the general is getting drunk and the priest is like, first of all, I don't drink. Second of all, you're really drunk <laughs> and you really want to like, you know, you want to go kind of frolic and you're not remembering what our place is here and how people are going to receive you. But early on the priest is like, you know, it's not a good idea to, to relax here um, because we're not welcome here. 
and don't forget that. And like that, I feel like that comes, that seed of that idea comes early and it, and that's happening around the same time that we're seeing, you know, uh, this couple kind of interacting that's clearly engaged, but it's sort of in the background of the scene and it all toward, you know, toward the scene that we're talking about, this climactic scene, it just all collides. Um, and it's kind of shocking. Even as I, I yeah. feel it, I feel politically and narratively where it's going, it's to feel, to feel the general's shock, I think is really something. And I think Isaac, you mentioned earlier, the steadiness, I think you both mentioned like the steadiness of the prose. Um, it, it, it kind of, this is something that it's just a rupture that you really feel. Again, debut yeah, totally, novel. Totally. Debut novel. Yeah, I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that like, you know, Catherine messaged me at one point to be like this, essentially to say, you know, this guy's command over what he's doing yeah. is really shocking. Like, are you in a first kidding novel. me? Like, yeah. Cause, cause the, for, for folks who have not read it, the, the prose really is kind of at a distance from its materials for the bulk of part one of the book, the books in two parts and it's interrupted by these things that feel more immediate um, that, that cam was just describing, but really like as soon as we're in part two, it's like the camera has zoomed in. It's like everything is much more immediate and, 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 and it becomes almost unbearable. I think actually as the book goes on, but then it pivots at the very end to this weird, I mean, who knows, maybe he never read Beckett, but it almost reads like Beckett. It. This like weird, polite, sort of meaningless conversation at the end of it. Um, uh, because I think in a weird way, what Cotteré has dug up here, you know, to no pun intended, but what he's pun, dug up here. Pun intended. Like, you can you can have it. Pun intended, come on. <laughs> yeah, fine. Okay, great. But like it um it's not resolvable. Right. Like the book can't resolve any of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like I keep thinking about. To me, it's like the great, in some ways, the great like English language writer about cursed duties is Graham Greene. The thing in his novels is they have a duty to fulfill, often, I should say, often in his novels. They have a duty to fulfill that they know will destroy either them or someone they love, right? But they have to do it anyway, and they don't feel like they have a choice in the matter. Right. And, and that's right. the essence of the blood feud books, too. Like, you must yeah. kill the yeah. person, and then you have one month, and you will be killed. Right. Which is just like a, yeah, totally, totally. And, um, and, and I felt a similar sense of that in this book, except, you know, I, I still don't know at the end of it, how we're supposed to feel. I mean, this mission is clearly an invasion, but whether we think, you know, finding the war criminal so that he can be properly buried is a good thing or like, I don't know exactly what we're supposed to owe to history at the end of this book. You know what I mean? And I, I think that's very deliberate on the book's part that, that he's not going to go to the trouble of resolving any of this for you. Yeah. And you know, what you're reminding me, Isaac is of the fact that we, we began with, you know, I mean, the opening line is, is about, rain and snow and this foreign soil and we sort of and, and you know the the flight into this this foreign land this strange place on this mission and we're we're just ending the novel with the same weather elements um the same kind of implacable um but disinterested sense of nature and environment 
and just a lack of a lack of resolution that I just find so you know it just it strikes at the core of something in me but I don't know I don't have the language for it but that's exactly it's like whatever the word I don't have for it is I think what I'm supposed to be taking away from it um and so much oh sorry go for it no I was just thinking about it as like a classical tragedy and how much it denies you that feeling of catharsis yeah um yeah it really is like a classical tragedy with the end truncated and just turned into waiting for Godot type meaninglessness almost. And and just like, well, nature doesn't care where a bunch of 18 year olds are buried. There's, you know, like the, that feeling of, of, of nature being unchanged by any of this. And, um, I, I think that it's meaningful that, we never see anyone being glad that one of these skeletons is returned to the family. Like we see people wanting this. Yeah. We see these like piteous letters. We see journals that just, you know, trail off and stop. And we know that there are these bodies. Um, but we really don't see anyone being glad that this is being done. Except yeah, and maybe the people at the wedding being glad to get rid of the corpse of the uh, war criminal in the sack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, but like the general's not happy about this. The priest isn't happy about it. The Albanian expert hates them. Well, you the know, general's like, kind of a whiny sourpuss from the start. There's all this mud. It's taking forever. Why am I not a hero yet? And by the yeah. end of the novel, <laughs> I don't feel, you know, I don't feel that he feels that that has really happened. But there, um, there's like this feeling that it's setting up like, oh, there's nation versus nation. And then there's this common humanity of like, you know, families whose sons and brothers, et cetera, um, have all been killed. And, and then it doesn't let you feel like, oh, well, we're all the same underneath. It's, it's much right. less cathartic can I, can I, than that. Can I read two, two things from the first chapter that I think both can give you a sense of sort of the tone with which the general is treated and also his, his sense of purpose, which of course goes nowhere. Um, so this is right when they're right. They're making speeches. There's like a joint political appearance between the general and his Albanian counterpart. The general made it clear that he was filled with a great zeal for his mission. It was a pious task, an arduous task, and one that he intended to carry out successfully. Thousands of mothers were waiting for their sons. They had been waiting for 20 years now. It was true that their expectation had altered somewhat in its nature. They no longer expected living sons to come home to them. But is it not equally possible to anticipate the return of the dead and then um a page later as the ceremony is wrapping up he was suddenly suffused with a sense of his own power the bodies of tens of thousands of soldiers buried beneath the earth had been waiting so many long years for his arrival and now he was here at last like a new messiah copiously provided with maps with lists with the infallible directions that would enable him to draw them up out of the mud and restore them to their families other generals had led those interminable columns of soldiers into defeat and destruction but he 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 had come to rest back from oblivion and death the few that remained. It's like you know immediately that yeah. he's screwed. Yeah, it's, right? it's so clear from the first chapter that it, that this is just not going to work out for him. But 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 I love that. I actually, you're pointing out uh, 
uh, some moments that that really stand out to me in part because the Catherine you mentioned earlier the scene, which is a flashback kind of to, you know the the weeks before he flies out to Albania in which you know, that's when you feel the, the kind of monumentality, like all the, all the thing that becomes a sort of bloviating sort of self worship in, in, in the passage that Isaac just read. When we go back to the scenes of the people showing up at his house with the letters and the memories of where they think bodies might be buried, you know, in that moment, he's, he's eventually kind of like, okay, I get it. You know, there's lots of bodies. They're all over the place. I have my lists. I'm, we're good to go. I'm going to find the bodies. It's fine. But there's, there's, there's a sense of, you know, it, it's, it's not as valiant or, or valiant rather. It's not as, it's not, it doesn't have as much valor, I think in the, in the moment of receiving these stories about these dead men in the moment, it's, it's like, I need to go get to my hero thing. And then that's what he starts to do as soon as he gets there. And it just, from the ways that, Kadare describes, you know, the priest just sort of being stone-faced, the, the Albanians who've been assigned to them to help them dig up these bodies, being very quiet, being very stony, and he sort of being this little chatterbox um, talking about himself. Um, you just, you you know in these contrasts that, that it's not going to work out, but I also feel a very sharp sense that Kadari does not take for granted that there is great pain in the missing bodies that the people who are waiting for them, you know, I, I don't think he, he's, he's so simplistic as to, as to sort of say that. And because of this, you know, national boundaries and political boundaries evaporate because we're all human. I mean, I think that he is a humanist enough to agree, but I don't think that's the main takeaway, but I do think that he, acknowledges that war sucks war war is you send you send these men out to this foreign land this foreign soil as we hear in the first sentence of the novel and you never get them back again and take some idiot <laughs> who's full of himself you entrust it to him and his lists and his heights and all and you know, and, and the rules of the contract of how you even dig up the bodies and, and all this sense of procedure and all this sense of self-importance, but it's 20 years. It's 20 years of people waiting for these bodies to come back. And it's 20 years of people in Albania living with this, this scar upon their psyches, upon the land. Um, and, and that, you know, while I think that the general himself comes off quite poorly, but, but in often comical ways, I think that Kadari is, is not inattentive to the mothers and the brothers and the young sons who've never known their fathers, um, who are waiting for these bodies, for whom these bodies do have meaning. And that tension really moved me. Absolutely. I, I think that the lightness of the book does come from the fact that the general is sort of a ridiculous character, and you have a sense that the generals that led these young men into war initially 
were also ridiculous figures. Yes. Um, but the the soldiers themselves are they are drawing maps of Albania. They are you know you can read in that journal they're learning about Albanian customs and becoming servants to the peasants, like this. Uh, yes. The, they are not going in in that same spirit of. Uh, like lack of curiosity, condescension, and sort of certainty that they deserve to be served at whatever cost, that sort of magnified becomes this war criminal. Um, But that's not everyone who was there. That's not the scale of the loss is like, Italians, what a bunch of jerks. You know, it's it's much more like, it's a more nuanced engagement between the two armies that I think is um, I think a lot of writing around World War One and World War Two focus on that idea of like we're different countries but are we who's whose war are we even yeah. fighting it's just a bunch of kids in a battlefield that aren't really that different yeah you know, I mean, and so much of what we're saying, I feel like it also needs to be pointed out, in addition to, I'm going to say it for the third time, debut novel, but um, <laughs> the the consortium, um, Catherine, Catherine, that you mentioned, of the translators and, and, and scholars, um, the I think the most well-known and primary of, of Qadari's translators, um, David Bellows, he interjects at some point in that conversation and, and it's like, you know, everyone's making, you know, great, great points, everyone, great consortium so far. But I also just want to point out that this is just it's fantastic storytelling. This is, you know, I mean, we're talking about the, the, the tone of the book and all these things, but what amazed me about it as I was reading, given what I had read on the back cover about what the novel was going to be about was how I flew through this. I couldn't put this down. Um, I found myself picking the book up in preparation for this conversation partially, but just turning to certain passages and, and really just lingering over the things that Gadari accomplishes in even just a, a, a paragraph. I mean, there's, there's one paragraph that really hit something with me where uh, one of the bodies that they find is um, has by the local villagers um, been uh, kind of immortalized in this museum. And there's this moment of, you know, the Western soldier is the one in the museum uh, that, that this is the person who is preserved in this way that we historically and, and in so many other ways you know, he's the one who should be doing, he belongs to the nation that does the preserving of the spoils of war or whatever it is. But to encounter one of one's own countrymen as an Italian, um, as a bones in a little village, peasant village museum, as the biggest story that ever happened there, their finding of these bones. Um, how, how could I evokes the complexity of that in a paragraph and really, I, I went back and checked. It's a paragraph. Is you know, it lends itself to a lot of the things that we're saying about about what he manages with the tone and his approach to the general. Um, it's just a, a novel. You know, again, I look back at the back cover, and 
I think that what's happening in the back cover is going to take the entire novel, but a lot of that actually happens within the first 60 pages. It's very swift. Mm -hmm. And then it just, just tump, you know, just tumbles and tumbles and we get to part two and, and right. Then we have an Albanian woman screaming (laughs) at a wedding. Right. Well, it's interesting because, you know, to, to back up your point about the back of the book, um, Cotteray himself comments on it in one of the chapters without a number. It, it's, a, it's, you know, about a quarter of the way into the book, about 60 pages into the book, he says, this is the entirety of the chapter without a number. What else is there for me to write? What remains but a monotonous chronicle of recurring details? Rain, right. mud, lists, reports, a variety of figures and calculations, a whole dismal technology of exhumation. And besides, just lately something strange is happening to me. As soon as I see someone, anyone at all, I automatically begin stripping off his hair, then his cheeks, then his eyes, as though they were something unnecessary, something that is merely preventing me from penetrating to his essence. And I envisage his head as nothing but a skull and teeth, the only detail that endure. Do you understand? I feel that I have crossed over into a kingdom of bones of pure calcium. Yeah. And then the book just keeps going from there. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, <clears throat> um, um, yeah, yeah that passage a, is, is quite something. Yeah. And I also thought, I also found the little stories that accumulate, which I, I, I think maybe because we're trained to expect structural patterns as, as readers, I expected there to be more of them of the little Mm. kind of stories of some of the dead bodies, like the, the deserter who goes to live with the peasants and falls in love with their daughter and, uh, all that stuff or the, uh, the, the, the death of the, um, sex worker who is murdered by the father of one of her customers because the customer breaks an engagement and brings shame to his family. And she is actually one of the bodies they wind up, uh, recovering because she was actually brought there by the army. And it's considered that she kind of died as part of the war effort. I found all those little stories really fascinating. Yes. And I think that, that the sex worker, that's like a, a chapter that's kind of heart of darkness style. It's, it's like a, a cafe owner telling a story um, and it feels extensive, but right. You, I kind of left that thinking, okay, the novel's going to be more of this because that, that kind of disrupts the, everything that, that was being described in the passage you just read, like the monotony, the drudgery, you know, one chapter we're digging up the first body, the next chapter it's two weeks later there's only a few more bodies that have been dug up, but for the most part, it's, it's, you know, it, you're just getting a sense of duration and lack of success. And then you get a chapter like that one. That's the story devoted to the story of this woman. Um, and it feels like it's disrupting something, but right. It doesn't, it doesn't become a mode unto itself in a complete way. Um, and it, but it becomes a way for Albania and, 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 and the people there to interject themselves into what is otherwise largely the, the dull consciousness of this general who would rather be at home at some point, you know what I mean? I just wanted to build on that point for a minute because uh, one thing that, so there's one blue raincoat and I looked at the date mm. of the Leonard Cohen song and the, the book is earlier in terms of famous blue raincoats. Um, but there's one article of clothing that seems distinctly modern to me. 
but otherwise I have a really hard time picturing what what are these people wearing like what do people look like in Albania in the 60s and yeah. part of it I realized as I was sort of thinking more about that it's not that he has to describe everyone's clothes and hair and stuff it's that so much of what I think of as the 60s is actually just being in a rich country being in a country yeah. that is surprised by its own degree of wealth after World War II. A country that has highways, and therefore you can go on road trips. A country that has a lot of jobs, so it doesn't matter if you grow your hair in some long, unusual style. Uh, that nearly everything I think of as the 60s in some ways comes down to wealth. And the amount that this book is a vision of the 60s that's like the 40s are not over for us because right. we did not come out rich um it, it seems like it's it, it's like the way that the italian general and the german general are allowed to just come and dig up the country all over again like you were saying they invade again but the country is not done with this the scar, this um, this crime that was done, it's still being done because they didn't win. Right. You're reminding me actually of, of, of a moment that I found so eerie, in part because I think for the general it's really eerie, um, when they're driving to, um, I believe it's, it's there's an actual cemetery that they're on their way to, and he sees these sort of checkpoints for where uh, you know, Albanian soldiers would have been shooting at the Italian soldiers. And the sense of, like, it, it feels very present tense for him. It feels like he is seeing these, um, I don't even know what the structures are called, but he's seeing them and he's thinking about, the, this is one of the moments where he's thinking, wow, these generals leading these men must have been um, uh, quite stupid because clearly... Uh, you're, you're sitting ducks if you're if you're if you're traveling down this road um you could be shot from anywhere you could be killed from anywhere no wonder we're on our way to a cemetery because clearly a lot of men must have died here but he experiences it with this really eerie sense of it's as if he could he can kind of step back into the the present tense of the war and imagine being shot at but also that's a sense of by that point in the novel, I think he's 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 grown a bit hip to how the Albanians feel about him, um, and I, and I, and I think it's it's a really it's a live feeling, um, and it's a really extraordinary way of dealing with these collapsed multiple histories. And exactly what you're talking about the duration of poverty, the duration of the aftermath of the war. And the ways that it's so present that even he, because he's seeing these landmarks, can feel it in the moment. It doesn't make him any wiser, but it creeps him out. Yeah, the, the peasants are still peasants. They're not, like, right. they don't have, like, teenagers who all discovered Elvis. And they're, they're still in the past in a much more literal way than I think most books about what what is the world 20 years after um, right. World War II. I don't know about most books, but uh, I, I thought it was striking, let's just say. And I don't think, the, I don't recall the word 
trauma being used, but all you know, with the caveat that this is a translation of a translation. So I don't know, but it's about war trauma. Um, but of course the general, you know, I think it takes him getting to the cursed bones to even approach the immediacy of that idea. And I don't think that he really, I think part of what we're talking about when we're talking about the lack of catharsis is that I, he doesn't, you know, you, you want him to end the book with uh, the brick falling on his head and suddenly he gets it. And that doesn't <laughs> quite happen, but it, this is, it's about war trauma. Um, and, and the, the Albanians trauma, the ways that when these, when these men, show up to dig these bodies up, all the people in the village sort of come and stand around and it becomes the talk of the village and all the older women start talking. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's just very present tense for them. Yeah. You know, you know, the other thing that's very, I think that adds um, some real richness to that dynamic in the book is that like it's it's not like Italy's experience of the last couple of years of the war was really fun for them right. either. Do you know what I mean? Right. That it's like you actually have one defeated army going to the land of another defeated army who were both enemies. Like they both lost in that war, right. even though they were on opposite sides of it. And so, you know, like that adds this other odd um, flavor to it, I feel yeah. like. Because what the general wants to do in his imagination is refight the war and win it, right? He he can't stop. He he Absolutely. he's a little obsessed with that idea. He's sort of like Monday morning quarterbacking World War II. Um, um, he he would love. There's lots of video games that he would uh, love uh, if he had lived that <laughs> long. Um, but you know, he um, he he really wants to figure that out and you know so there is this sort of like i'm coming from this country that lost you know we have to regain our national pride kind of and and maybe i can help do that through this mission where i will lead our men even though it's their dead bodies to safety right right um that's very much sort of how he responds to losing the war. And of course in Albania, the, the, the Albanians that he comes across, although of course we only get a limited bit of their perspective because he doesn't speak Albanian. So the, um, Cotteray has to keep finding different ways to get their POV into the book. Um, their POV is very different. Um, it's one that's much more of rage and despair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that he has this idea that there is some, from his perspective, quite fascist kind of dignity to uh, regain. Whereas yeah. for them, it's it's just so incredibly personal and so incredibly sad. And and again, this is something that he is alerted to. Um, you know, bef- again, before he leaves, we mentioned the the people who you know, have bodies in Albania that they want brought home. But one special visitor that he gets is a general who did fight in Albania, who just shows up at, at his house amidst all the, the mourners and the the survivors and says, I'm just letting you know, I think this is stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like wh- whatever, whatever it is you think you're trying to do, first of all, you like, you know, non-wartime general, 
like who gets to go excavate bodies as important as you think that is as important as it is. Um, you didn't fight in the war, so you don't have a sense of the carnage, but also the thing that you're trying to do is folly. Every novel needs an old timer showing up at the protagonist's door to be like, by the way, before you set off for this quest. I mean, the book definitely plays on that irony of the idea that there's, it's like, oh, well, you wanted your living son to come home, but almost as good is. (laughs) But at the same time, like even while the book, it sets that up as, as a joke of how awful that is. Um, but it also doesn't just let you off easy thinking like that what happens to the remains of the dead, it it does matter. It does matter in the book. It does. Um, and it it actually reminds me of, um, the Cheneysville incident, which is, uh, not a book that we, I discussed with either of you, but, um, we did do an episode of the podcast on it. And that was a book that is just deeply interested in what the rights of the dead and the burial of the dead actually means to the living. And it does not stop with, with just how, how profoundly it treats that subject. Although that is a different question from the one that Antigone asks, I think actually in a weird way, because in Antigone, the body needs to be buried for the body's sake for the dead brother's sake, for his soul. That's why it needs to be buried. I mean, it it creates this conflict about, you know, duty and all sorts of other stuff within Antigone. But, but the reason why it needs to be buried is actually so that he can correctly pass on to the hereafter. And you would think that the priests in this book would sort of be there to massage that idea. But even he, you know, the general, from, from the start, the general's like, what's with this guy? Like, why isn't he more down with whatever? And the priest, I mean, you know, every time they talks, it just seems like the priest is saying, I mean, well, he's agreeing with, you know, the, the problematic Italian attitude toward the Albanians, but he's also, he, he just doesn't see righteousness in this. He, it just doesn't feel, you know, he'll, he'll pray before, uh, they start to dig and all these things, but even these gestures just don't seem like they're adding up to his own belief in some sort of uh, spiritual outcome that's worth him being there. Yeah, and one of the workers dies too. Like that's they, right. yeah. the, they're one of the workers. It, it's it's kind of strange and almost seems fake, but it is actually true in the book that a worker gets scratched and somehow the scratch gets an infection and he just dies in the night. That's right. So that there is actually a human cost, uh, like a cost of life to this quest. Although, and importantly, a cost of an Albanian life. Yeah. Yeah. It's not one of the Italians who, who dies. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I couldn't help but think about, you know, our own, nation's contentious (laughs) struggle with what to do with the past and what to do with the dead. Um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's because my, my family is originally from Richmond, Virginia, but you know, like how, what does a memorial actually mean and what is its purpose? 
and what do we do with the 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 dead bodies is you know something we are still in conflict about as a nation uh as a result of the civil war which is much longer ago than world war ii is uh in relationship to the events of this book uh, you know do we sort of bury the 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 defeated army with with you know valor and then build a nice memorial to it or you know you know what do you do and and um i mean maybe that's part of why i found this book so unsettling is i feel like it's not like america has come up with any better answers to these questions yeah and we're still fighting about them Alright, that's our episode on General of the Dead Army. Thank you so much to Ken for joining us and to Adam Bear for our music. Thank you also to the people at Literary Hub for hosting us. We love hearing from listeners, so please write to us at LitCenturyPod on Twitter and LitCenturyPodcast at gmail.com. Also, we're grateful if you rate us on podcast platforms. Thank you so much and goodbye till next week.